My name is Chad. I am one of the pastors here. Probably about a year ago, uh, my wife and I decided to go on a date. She loves to plan. I don't. I'm not very good at it, but she's great at it. She loves it. So I said, honey, you plan whatever you want and I will be there. Well, she planned for us to go to Pino's Palette. How many of you guys know about Pino's Palette? Okay. You maybe bring wine if that's your thing, but the point is you're there, uh, you're following the instruction of a lead artist who hangs up a picture uh, that you will be painting that night, and then step by step, she shows you how to make this, whatever this is. That night, this was a little red wagon. It was a planter with wildflowers kind of flowing out of it. So not exactly my cup of tea. Um, we go and, you know, I, I was hopeful that it might be like I was in a Bob Ross show, you know. That was, my, that was my expectation, that I would be there and just, we'd be making, uh, no mistakes, just happy little trees, happy little flowers, things like that. Well, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that it, it really was very difficult for me to get into the whole experience, partly because... I was the only man there of about 40 or 50 women. And um, the instructor, she was in no hurry at all. And apparently I was. I was in a hurry. Um, it's probably good for most people that she wasn't in a hurry because they were there to enjoy the experience, enjoy one another. I was there just to finish the painting as quickly as possible. So actually, I would get out of my chair when I felt like she was moving too slow and I would walk to the front, didn't care, and I'd look at the painting, I'd study the details and I'd walk back to my chair and I'd paint whatever it is that I saw because I was ready to get out of there. Now, my wife, she took it all in stride, laughed it off, and no, no harm, no foul there. But what was going on uh, underneath the surface on a deeper level propelling my antsy antics was that I had selfishly distorted the date to be about me, my experience, if I was having fun, if I was comfortable, rather than for the date to be about us, my wife and I sharing in the experience, growing closer together, enjoying the time apart from the kids, apart from work and just doing something together. As broken people living in a broken world, we're all prone to this sort of thing, to twist a communal experience and make it about me rather than us. We see it all the time, whether it's uh, a basketball team, um, maybe it could be in your family amongst siblings or any activity really. Uh, where you twist something and make it about you rather than us. And for the most part, uh, the consequences of doing that are not too severe. Uh, a ball hog on a rec basketball team, he's not going to be kicked out of the rec. Uh, he might get a, a bad reputation. So the severity of the consequences for twisting something to be about me rather than us, it varies depending upon the weightiness of what you are twisting to be about you rather than us. So this morning, we are going to look at a weighty communal event. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Corinthian church had twisted to be about a group, a faction, to be about me rather than us. We're going to look at the latter half of chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. And what we're going to see is Paul's instructions, his correction, his rebuke, and his direction for participating in the Lord's Supper, which I might add is the high point of all communal life in the local church. Communion, the Lord's Supper. And what we see in these verses is they made it about me, and by doing that, because it's such a weighty event, they faced real repercussions, grave fallout. And so looking at these verses, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about three things. The first is what the Corinthian church was actually doing. It's going to require us to go back in time a little bit and talk about their culture ever so briefly. But it's clear in the text what they were doing for it to be unworthy is Paul's term for it. Second, we're going to read through and discuss Paul's instructions, what the Lord's Supper actually is. And we're going to spend a little time actually talking about how it fits into the life of the church And finally, we're going to end our sermon with some clear direction for us as Bethel, how to participate in the Lord's Supper, which we will do at the conclusion of this sermon. So again, that's what the Corinthians were doing badly, what the Lord's Supper is, and how we might participate in it in a worthy manner. So read with me verses 17 through 22, where we're going to see Paul detail Uh, what it is they were doing badly or in an unworthy manner. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So as I said, a little bit of a cultural background here is in order to understand what's actually going on. During the earliest days of the church, as seen here, the Lord's Supper was actually the tail end of a communal meal called an agape meal or a love feast. Jude in verse 12 referenced this. Today, however, we celebrate it in a Sunday morning worship service. Uh, Neither is better or right. Uh, Both are focused on um, remembering the Lord. So uh, also in that day and age, they didn't gather in a building, okay? They gathered in someone's home, probably a wealthy member's home. And so the agape meal took place in their house. Uh, But whether it was then or that now, here's what Paul wants us to see, what is important 
as the church gathers, especially for the Lord's Supper. And that is contained in this phrase, coming together. In fact, Paul mentions their coming together in a passage on them doing it badly five times. We see five times Paul referenced their coming together. We see it in his opening verses of this passage, in verses 17, 18, and 20. 17, when you come together. 18, when you come together. And then 20, when you come together. So this repetition right off the bat. And then, in fact, he actually closes this passage, this chapter, which we have not yet read, but I will read to you now. Verses 30 and 30, 33 and 34, he says, in verse 33, when you come together. And then 34, when you come together. Okay, repetition. Paul is saying something. He's actually doing something with this. So why the heavy emphasis? What is he doing? Well, we most clearly see what he is doing in verse 18. Verse 18 says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church. Okay? Church is the assembly of God, his people, his new covenant community. And what we see the church doing when they come together for the Lord's Supper is actually dividing. Verse 18, we see when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Verse 19, factions among you. And 21, we see for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. In their coming together as a church, as an assembly, as the one family of God, they are actually dividing. They're factioning off. And the specifics of how that factioning took place there is in verse 21. One eats in such abundance that he or she is drunk in their feasting, literally on wine, and the other is hungry. And so the faction in the Corinthian church in that day and age was a socioeconomic divide. And the way that it was taking place was the wealthy Corinthians had the leisure, the time to show up at this home whenever they pleased, to engage in the agape meal whenever they pleased, and then to participate in the Lord's Supper whenever they pleased. They were the haves, and the have-nots, their brothers and sisters, they were still working. They were laboring. Some of them were probably slaves, and they arrived with nothing because they had nothing, but they had the Lord in common. And the haves had already eaten everything. They'd already participated in the Lord's Supper. And the have-nots had nothing. And they had nothing to, to eat. They had no bread or wine in order to participate in the Lord's Supper. So it was not a love feast. And Paul very pointedly says, this is not the Lord's Supper. He shows us that fact with a stark contrast in 20 and 21. In 20, he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper. 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. He's contrasting the Lord with 
your own, this division, this self-centered interest that you're promoting at the Lord's table. So this contrast shows that, hey, this isn't, whatever it is you're doing, it's not the Lord's Supper. You might have the wine, you might have the bread, you might say the right things, but the church is about coming together. And when you come together, you're really factioned off. In fact, Paul says in verse 17 that it's for the worse. It's for the worse. You're gathering, you're assembling, it's for the worse. And he concludes in 22 that what you're doing is actually despising the church of God and humiliating the poor. So what they were doing is they were creating and enforcing divisions that made them feel comfortable that maybe allowed them to celebrate their blessing from God for being rich. Or maybe as an opportunity to socialize and promote themselves, their businesses, their interests among themselves. But what they were not doing was they were not truly coming together. What they were doing was they were not participating in the Lord's Supper. They were humiliating one another. They were despising the church of God. They were to instead be Unified, come together, unity in the Lord. But unified how? And why is unity so important? Paul's mentioning this, coming together, coming together, coming together, but you're divided, you're factioned off, you're having your own meal. So why is unity so important in the church, but especially during the Lord's Supper? And what does that look like? So these questions actually lead us to our next point in verses 23 through 26, where Paul explains for us what the Lord's Supper is. Read with me 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to jump into these verses in just a minute. But what I want you to understand is that as the church, as the assembly of God, we have been given two ordinances from the Lord that we are to do on a regular basis, one of them, and one, the other is we are to do one time. And those are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And what we need to do this morning is understand how these two are linked. You need to understand how baptism and the Lord's Supper are linked in order to understand the significance of unity in the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to talk about that. Baptism, water baptism, it's the symbolic act, it's a symbol, it's a symbolic act of the believer's initiation into the body of Christ, which occurred at the moment of salvation by the Spirit. But this symbolic act, it has meaning, it's communicating something, it's communicating reconciliation to God and unity with Christ. Reconciliation to God in unity with Christ. Hold on to those words. They're going to come up often. First, reconciliation. In the rite of baptism, the initiate publicly proclaims 
her trust in Christ alone, his death, his substitutionary death to satisfy the debt we all owe God, that God paid God on the cross for something we owe but never could. We are reconciled to God because of what Christ did for us. And because of that reconciliation, we are now a full-fledged member of the community of God, the new covenant community. And in the act of baptism, we see a picture of being united with Christ. As the initiate goes down into the water, he or she has died with Christ to their sins. And when they rise up, they have been raised with Christ to live for God, with God, reconciled, united with the Son, a full-fledged member of the new covenant community. And also with this public initiation into the new covenant community, into the body of Christ, the believer declares publicly to forsake the ways of Satan and to faithfully follow Christ as a disciple. I is now in this right, have shown, have trusted in Christ. I'm united with him. I'm in this covenant community, and I will continue to follow Christ, believing upon him, being a faithful, obedient disciple, all based on the grace of God. So you are now a part of this new covenant community. And as a part of this new covenant community, you basically pledge yourself to be held accountable by your brothers and sisters that you will be a promoter of reconciliation and unity, both symbolized in baptism. So this promotion of reconciliation and unity, it happens outside the church as ambassadors for Christ. You share the good news, you model for them what it looks like to be a child of God. But it also happens inside the church. Inside the church where you are a humble brother and sister. All on equal footing before the cross. Who serves out of love for others. For their good. For their edification. So that's baptism. The symbolic picture of a believer's initiation into God's new covenant community. A community of reconciliation to God and unity with Christ and one another. Let's talk now about the Lord's Supper and see how these two are linked, okay? So the Lord's Supper is the believer's ongoing re-consecration or reaffirmation of being a believer in the Lord and a faithful follower in his new covenant community. Stated differently, this is your opportunity, which we will do this morning. This is your opportunity to reaffirm the blessed place that you've been given in God's new covenant community as a reconciler, as someone who seeks the unity in the spirit, all to glorify God, all to promote Christ. Paul states this very plainly, that that we do this in remembrance of what Christ has done. In verses 24 and 25, in 24, we see, do this in remembrance of Christ. Then jump down to 26, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So, so this is also very symbolic. We memorialize Christ's past sacrifice, his atoning death for us. And we proclaim our faith in Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we anticipate his return as judge and king over our New Testament community, as well as all the faithful from the Old Covenant. So in the Lord's Supper, our reconsecration, our reaffirmation, our rededication to what He's done for us for a purpose, this is made very visible and very clear and actualized by eating literal bread and drinking literal juice. The bread symbolizes that God the Son really left heaven and became the God-man, all God and all man in order to identify with us, and in order to truly be able to pay God the debt we owe. And he died. He really, truly died on the cross. And the cup symbolizes that his death was atonement for the sinner. That his death was in my place. And it satisfied God's holy wrath for our guilt, for my guilt as a sinner. And the cup symbolizes the new covenant itself. The covenant that we are now members of. And the blessings of this new covenant are the forgiveness of sins, the indwelling and purifying Holy Spirit, and our future bodily resurrection into God's consummated eternal kingdom. This is going somewhere. So by eating and drinking the bread and the juice, we are reaffirming our commitment, our participation in God's new covenant community of reconciliation, of unity. The community that we were baptized into, that we publicly proclaimed that this is the direction of my life this is now my identity. This is who I am. And if you remember, I opened the sermon talking about how I twisted something that was about us, my wife and I, and I made it about me. It was supposed to promote my marriage, but I made it about my personal enjoyment, my own private event. And I missed the point, but thankfully my wife laughed it off. But what we see in our passage this morning is the weightiness of the communal event of the Lord's Supper or communion is such that it is to promote our shared faith in the Lord, our shared commitment to live as God's family. But the Corinthians had twisted it, didn't they? And they made it about them, me. And this is not something Paul could just laugh off. This is not something that the Lord just laughed off. Because again... The Lord's Supper is the high point of our communal event in the local church. It's something serious. And as we'll see, if done in an unworthy manner, could actually lead to death. Certainly the Lord's discipline. So if this is the case, and it is, how do we participate in the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? And this leads us to our final point. Read with me verses 27 through the end of this chapter, verse 34. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body 
and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. So in verses 27 through 29, okay, or 27, 29, what we see is Paul is going to articulate for us theologically what the wealthy faction agents were doing by eating the Lord's Supper separate from the poor, disdaining the poor, disregarding their value as full-fledged members of the New Covenant community. In verse 27, the wealthy, as faction agents, were guilty concerning the body and the blood of Christ. Meaning, they were tearing down what Christ had given his life to build. They were destroying what Christ was and is building. A people of God dedicated to God and His ways, His purposes, His mission, His kingdom. Manifested through reconciliation and unity. We are ambassadors. We represent Christ to the world, certainly to one another as well. We are to love and serve and to build up. Build up, not divide, not demote, not ostracize, not alienate, not destroy. And in verse 29, these wealthy faction agents were also those who were participating in the Lord's Supper without discerning the body. That's what it says, without discerning the body. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul, in the very next chapter, in verse, excuse me, chapter 12, we see it very clearly in verse 27 of chapter 12. He's going to say, Now you, the church, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. So to eat and to drink in the Lord's Supper without discerning the body is to participate in this ordinance without any care for the state of your relationships with your brothers and sisters, without any regard for any ill that you are causing them based on your selfishness. It's refusing to apologize or ask for forgiveness or stop doing whatever it is that you are doing to another believer on a consistent basis that is making them feel less than who they actually are in the Lord, a full-fledged member of God's new covenant community, given every single blessing that you have and that I have. So the Lord this morning, what He wants us, according to this text, is to stop disregarding the value of others through our thoughts, through our deeds, through our words, through our actions. They're full-fledged members of the new covenant community, bought, By the blood of Christ. And so before we take the Lord's Supper this morning, we are are to pause. That's this idea of examining yourself. And ask the Spirit to search us. You know, what 
God, what am I doing that's divisive, that's tearing apart, that's destroying, that's hurting or demoting or alienating? What am I doing to a brother or sister to make them feel devalued? Because your body, Lord, is consisted of each other. And the result of being guilty in the Corinthian church was the Lord's discipline. And he still disciplines today. And in their context, it was, it was illness and death. And I'm not saying who's sick for what reason. We don't know. And I would never say that. Only the Lord knows. But the point is, is that he disciplines us for not deeply caring how we're treating his children, our brothers and sisters, and over, overlooking that and then jumping into the Lord's Supper carelessly as if it's just me and Jesus and I'm forgiven. No, he disciplines for a very good reason to shine a light in our hearts and in our lives of I need you to humble yourself. I need you to ask for forgiveness. I need you to change your ways. I need you to be in line with my, my kingdom of building each other up in unity, of reconciling. So how do we eat and drink in a worthy manner? Well, for the Corinthian church, it was as simple as the wealthy humbling themselves and breaking down these socioeconomic divides. All they needed to do, according to verse 33, was just wait on the poor. Just wait. And then share with them. What about for us at Bethel? For us, I think as an American, we completely and totally individualize the Lord's Supper. In part because we have our own cup. We have our own little wafer. We sit in our own little chair. It's just Jesus and me. Forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying for my sins. And then we partake. But that's not what Paul's teaching That's not the point of the Lord's Supper. So for us, it starts changing our mindset. It's really not just the Lord and me, but it's the Lord and us. It's the Lord and us. And we see that in this passage, that it's the Lord who's forgiven us. The Lord has brought us into his family. And when we gather as his family, and when we remember, when we proclaim, and when we reaffirm our participation in his new covenant community, we're doing it together. And so we actually see the emphasis on us over me in this passage, but it's lost on us as English readers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through verses 24 through 26 again. And I'm going to read the second person plural pronoun, which in the English is you, but in Texas is y'all. I'm going to read these verses with the Texas version to give us a flavor for communion really being about us and the Lord. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for y'all. Y'all do this in remembrance of me. For in the same way, he also took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Y'all do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Actually, it's even more pronounced. Y'all do this as often as y'all drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as y'all eat this bread and y'all drink the cup, y'all proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In those two little verses, seven times, he's emphasizing the community aspect of communion. So the Lord's Supper is, is our celebration together with Him. It's our covenant renewal with Him. He is very much so present in the Spirit. He is the head of His body. He is the host of His Supper that proclaims and celebrates the reconciliation we have with God by His shed blood, our unity with Him by grace through faith in the indwelling of the Spirit. And so as we, as we take the elements of the bread and of the juice, we do so together with Him. And before we do so, we certainly thank Him. Oh my goodness, we thank Him. The term Eucharist means give thanks. We're giving thanks we also ask His Spirit to, to reveal to us any sins. And then we, we confess those to Him. We ask for forgiveness. We repent. But we take time and listen for prompting. We, the, the Spirit showing you in what area of your life are you working against the grain of what God is doing, building up His church. And seek out that individual at some point very soon after and ask for forgiveness. Ask the Spirit to change your mind about those actions. And certainly, as we live in a fallen world, reconciliation is not always entirely possible. But we as those in the new covenant community who have been reconciled, we can seek out that reconciliation. We can at least attempt it. And we can pray for them before we participate in communion. The Lord came, He died, so that we might by His Spirit be indwelt by His Spirit, totally forgiven, totally reconciled to God, one body, forgiven, waiting for the Lord to return and consummate His kingdom, an eternal kingdom that we long for